Hello, and welcome to the BBC Gardener's World magazine podcast, brought to you by the team here at the magazine. Join us as we chat all things gardening with the nation's favourite experts. The clear links between homegrown food and our health are just one reason why, as a nation, we've taken to growing our own food with such enthusiasm this year. Add to this a freshness and flavour that money can't buy, and food with no air miles attached, and you can see why it's become a lockdown obsession for so many. Hello, I'm Lucy, and you're listening to the BBC Gardener's World magazine podcast. Today, I'm talking to Alan Titchmarsh, TV presenter, Gardener's World magazine columnist, and a grower of food since he was a nipper. I wanted to find out how the pandemic has made Alan think differently about growing food and discover his secrets to success. How do you think the pandemic has altered um, our relationship with food? With any luck, it's opened people's eyes to where it comes from. It doesn't actually arrive in a cellophane packet. (laughs) But I've heard so many people, well, several things. One is, I didn't realise if you sold the whole packet, you'd got such a lot. (laughs) I sold an entire packet of lettuce. (laughs) That's come up quite a few times. But more success stories than failures, which is really heartening because I think it's opened a lot of people's eyes to the ease of growing vegetables, relative ease, and also the pleasure and the sense of achievement. When they come in, they get terribly boring about a tomato. Just the one. You know, as we all have done for donkey's years, we know <laughs> we've bored the nation. They're now boring us back and saying, look what I grew. Yes, it's wonderful. <gasps> Just eat it, dear. You know, no, it's been, I think it has, um, I hope, had a residual effect and people will try again in future years and perhaps be a bit more adventurous. Yeah, I think it's been priceless, actually. I mean, I think you're right. People are, particularly tomatoes, people are so thrilled to have one. Well, we also had a good year, didn't we? You know, we had good weather in spring. I mean, that first lockdown weather. And when the the, the temperatures, you know, then um, I have a, a thermometer on the Isle of Wight in the shade facing north. And that one week in August, it hit 96.4. That's in old money, Fahrenheit. Um, and we had the, the hot weather in, in May and June as well. So it was a good year to start vegetable growing. And I, I think that's lovely for those of us who always encourage people to grow things, is that they had a season which was propitious for growth. Uh, it was dry, um, and that meant they had to do a lot of washing, but then you're generally doing that with veg anyway. So I yeah. hope a lot of people will come back and think now they've put a toe in the water uh, they will actually be a bit more adventure even more adventurous next year that's right i mean as we're facing a new season and a new year lies ahead of us waiting for you know all that kind of the empty bed and the and the kind of full seed packets it's it's thinking what do you think is going to um propel people to do it again what do you think the signs are that uh, they're going to go in for a second year of it well i think people have realized if everybody's been stuck at home there are three meals in a day uh, but but all those three meals need catering for they they need produce and to be able to grow some of it yourself makes them a bit more fun when you're bringing in your own courgettes or picking your own runner beans or pulling your own radishes which are quite quick as you know then there's a sense of achievement and it makes it less of a drudge that there's more to making a meal than just going out buying it cooking it putting it on a plate the growing of it what the one thing that gardeners are are good at is the postponement of gratification and, and and the joy of anticipation and I hope people have 
enjoyed the waiting in a way, putting the seed in, watching it come up. Yes, being a little bit impatient. When am I going to eat it? When am I going to get it? But then when it does, I think it's ready to pull. Well, you don't get that when you're buying it off the shelf. And I hope that's an enormous uh, facet of it, which uh, have its own appeal for people who've never done it before. Nothing like a little bit of success to embolden you to have another go. And I think the pandemic did, uh, you know, did compel us all to slow down. And along with that came some of the slower pleasures of life. And, and growing your own food is definitely one of those wonderful, slow, as you say, it's delayed gratification. But when it comes, wow. Yeah, and I hope it's a legacy here. I hope that a lot of this will have a residual effect. It will stick. It won't just be, oh, once all the trains are running again, once everybody's back in the offices, we'll forget all that. Do you know, I don't think we will, and we certainly won't if we have any ounce of wisdom between us. We'll learn from this. It's pointed up some values in life which may have slipped or just been mislaid or forgotten, and growing your own food is one of the purest of those. And I think to be able to do it, not necessarily to be self-sufficient or to be a slave, to your veg patch or just that little spare bit of earth that is in the flower border where you put in a few lettuces and some spring onions. But to do that and think, this is an important part of my life. This is good for me. It's good for me in terms of my personal nutrition and my diet. It's also good for my soul and my spirit. And we've become, I know we've become much more aware of certainly mental health during uh, this pandemic, but also the way, the role that gardens have played in allaying fear, in calming us, in keeping our spirits up, in giving us a sense of proportion and perspective, we'd be very foolish to lose that, to put it in the cupboard again and just go back to the way we were. I do hope it's in our, I know it's in our interest to learn from it and growing our own is one tangible way in which we can show we've learned from it and benefit. Mm. What do you do differently during the lockdown period? What, how, was, how was life different for you? I, I kind of know, but share a little bit more widely. But there's probably lots well, of things that you were doing. To be in your own garden all day, every day, and I was, and I was generally out there all day, every day, because we were lucky with the weather. To do that was a great delight. It was rather like watching a flower slowly unfurling rather than seeing the bud one day and the open bloom or the seed the following day or week we could watch absolutely everything as it happened it was like watching a garden in slow motion which was wonderful i hope because however keen a gardener you are you have other distractions in my case work which involves gardening and making gardens for other people and writing and broadcasting but it means i'm not standing you know by this border all day every day it gave me an opportunity to do that it anchored me even more to the earth than i was before and in terms of growing our own um, fruit and vegetables here. Alison and I have had a little kitchen garden, which is three raised beds uh, for 15, 18 years, one of which is full of asparagus, and the other has got raspberries and strawberries and some cut flowers in it, and the other one is salads and, and a few cabbages and some potatoes and stuff like that. So a small veg garden. Well, we were asked to do for lockdown, because I had to say farewell to my two the people who helped my email gallery said, my two members of staff. I mean, you know, this is my career. It's my workshop. It's my, my business, if you like, gardening. And the two people, Bill and Sue, who worked for me, they had to be furloughed, laid off because they weren't allowed to be here because I'm old and vulnerable. 
allegedly. Um, so Alice and I were here on our own for the best part of three months. Um, and they said, we'd like to do a film, uh, a series for ITV called Grow Your Own at Home. Um, but we have a problem with you. So I said, oh, oh, here we are. This is it. Thank you. Good night. You're too old. We can't use you. I said, no, the problem we have with you is that only your wife can be with you because you're in lockdown. You are regarded, just because you've hit the magic said no, as being old and vulnerable. Nobody can come in. So we can't send a cameraman. How is your wife at filming? I said, my wife has a mobile phone, which she's never even taken a photograph on it. She doesn't. I do it all, or the children do it all. I don't think Alice has ever taken a photograph on her mobile phone. They said, well... We could film your, because I was doing it with the Love Your Garden team, with Francis Tophill, who's, you know, Gardens World as well, mm-hmm. David Dominic, Katie Rushworth. They were chipping in, but it was Grow Your Own with Alan Titchmarsh. So it was fairly vital I had to be there <laughs> and filmed. They said, Alison can do it on her iPhone. Well, that quickly turned into, well, actually, it's not very compatible with Tiddlypon. Alison, bless her heart, ended up with a camera up and a shoulder mount, and she became a camera person uh, for what was ostensibly going to be three programmes on Growing Your Own. Um, it went down so well after the first programme, I said, can we do six? So our three veg beds, one of which was out, because that was just asparagus anyway, so our two veg beds have never been so stuffed with vegetables as they were. We did it, we did a series of six programmes, bless her, it took us about a day and a half to film each one, from our point of view. We had a wonderful time doing it. It totally reconnected us with our kitchen garden, which is now bigger. I've since the programme finished, the series finished, I've made two more raised beds, I've put a rabbit-proof fence around it, and a little tiny pretty shed for the middle of it is coming next week. So it's, you know, even when you've been doing it for so many years, the flame can still be fanned. The excitement can still build. You can still find new things you're excited about. And I can't tell you how excited I am for this little shed coming and the stuff I'm going to put in it. Um, and I've, I've made these two new raised beds and put obelisks in the corners and, and pyramidal bay trees in the, oh, it's going to look so pretty. You'll oh, you see. couldn't resist. You'll see it one day, Lucy. <laughs> oh, you couldn't resist. I must admit, when, when you told me that Alison was filming it some, some months ago, I remember thinking, now I remember how glad Alan, uh, Alison was to get rid of the film crew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she was given this sign by Gardens World when we stopped filming in The Last Garden and then we moved to this one and I said, this one's for us. And she was given a sign by the producer of The Last saying, you know, no entry to film crews, which, which is in our kitchen now, but it's since then we've just the odd little bit, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but, I mean, why did it strike such a chord, do you think? Because, you know, like, obviously they could tell from programme one onwards that the, the, the TV schedulers knew you were, onto, you were onto gold, you know, what, the, but why? For the first time in most people's lives, they were confined to their gardens. Mm. Remember, we were all told not to go out unless our journey was essential. We were all at home. And, you know, you and I have banged on for ages about how important a garden is and what it can do for you, but it didn't get through to everybody. Suddenly, people were faced with this lump of earth. It might have been in tiny, but it was potential. It was an escape from four walls. And a lot of people, particularly those in flats and apartments who couldn't get out, found window boxes and pots and did something with those. It was an escape. It was a little bit of, you know, we were talking earlier, it's a little bit of dream. And to build a little bit of dream and to use that garden and to realise for a lot of people for the first time what that garden can give you rather than just being something that has to be sorted and tidied or kept under control. No, this piece of earth has a lot to offer you, uh, particularly 
when it comes to food and the childlike joy of growing something that at the end of a few weeks you could eat is out of all proportion to perhaps the nutrition you're getting from it but you can grow things that you can't buy in the shops or which don't travel well to the shops therefore they're not in the shops you know if you want fresh kale or, or whatever but to to pick a pod of peas um snap it open pull out the peas and pop them into your mouth straight from the garden you suddenly realize how sweet homegrown vegetables are when my children were, were, were very young we hadn't got enough room for a veg patch until i got an allotment so the first few years we weren't getting veg other than a tomato in a pot and things like that the first time i grew carrots the children said we don't like carrots I said, just try these, because, of course, I grew the carrots, pulled them out of the soil, washed them under the tap, dropped them in a pan for a few minutes, and they said, they don't, we don't like them, they ate it. Oh, but this isn't a carrot, because it's sweet. I said, this is how carrots taste when they're straight out of the ground, because the sugar hasn't started to turn to starch and all that kind of thing. Um, and people do still realise now, when you grow your own, it's fresher, it's crispier, it is tastier, it's not your imagination. I know, and nothing beats that first taste, does it? I mean, what, what, so what was the first thing you ever grew? And can you remember what that moment was where you sort of bit into it? Well, as a boy, it would have been radishes. And of course, they grew fast um, and, and they were quite hot. But I didn't kind of mind that because there was a freshness to the heat. And what was really enjoyable was that two years ago, in fact, it wasn't this year, it was two years ago, my elder grandson, who was then seven, said, Grandpa, I want to grow vegetables with you. Um, can you come to Wells and grow our vegetables wow. in our garden? And I thought, what yeah, a moment that must have! What a moment was, that must have been. The problem was, Lucy, it came in October. <laughs> so ah. I thought, oh my goodness, I must not lose this moment. What the dickens am I going to do? It's October. You can't sow veg until March at the earliest. So I thought, come on, you're going to be cunning here. So I said, right, now we'll have a plan. Let's first of all work out where it's going to go. So when I come over next week, we'll find out. So there's this delaying tactic going on. So we found a spot. So I said, right, now during this winter, we have to start. We've got to cut the grass off here and we did a bit of so we took a few weeks preparing the soil preparing the patch and trying not to make it boring I didn't want to make it slave labour so grandpa did most of it you know and he mucked in a bit um, and then right can we sow that now we need to work out what we're going to sow so we made a list of what he liked eating and that took us another two or three weeks by virtue all these little jobs that we did got us through to about February and then I said right come on Saturday morning, next Saturday morning, you know, spinning it out, but keeping the fire, the flame alive. We'll go to the garden centre and we'll pick the packets of seed we want. So we did that. And then we got to the point. He and his brother, who was two years younger, we then sowed. We did it all in one day, of course. You know, you can't see next week we'll sow this. Successional sowing doesn't come into it for a, a seven-year-old and a five-year-old. No, you do it all at once. You know, so we do that. Now. So this <laughs> it was a narrow now. strip. It was right outside the back door. It was only about two feet wide, but about 15 feet long. So we could do lots of little squares so that was quite good and we sewed things and and and, and they came up thank the lord and they tended them through the air we put netting around so local rabbits didn't come in and eat it and when they harvest their first radish i thought the radish are going to come first the radish are hot and they won't like them they loved them 
They loved them. And then it was tomatoes. Well, they're now two confirmed little vegetable growers and they've been doing it all again this year without Grandpa's help, you know. So I got there. It's just not boring them rigid, not lecturing them and sort of keeping keeping the excitement going. And then they take it up and run with it. They like being out there. I think if you let children loose in a garden, if you make it fun and make it a place where nice things happen, they keep wanting to go out there. And then you lose them as teenagers because they've got the more pressing engagements. But you've done your work. It's in there. It'll come back. And then when they get that first house of theirs, either you know, when they get their first house in their 50s nowadays, um, uh, you know, in their 20s or 30s in a little bit of garden, they remember, oh, they might not remember quite how to do it, but they remember they enjoyed it. And that's what's key. Mm. Yeah. And we've seen, you know, this year and, uh, and and last year, you know, a huge upsurge in, you know, younger, you know, maybe live, live in a flat or they're renting somebody for the first time. It, you know, it's it, it's young as well as old who want to grow their own food, probably more so. So I guess, you know, let, let's talk about getting started. Let's talk mm. about some of the biggest barriers and, and how to overcome them. So there's time, there's space. What what do you think are the biggest barriers? And what, what's always your start point? Start point is what vegetables need to grow. Um, and they, I remember my first lecture on soil science when I went to college. We had a lecture, lectured us in soil science called Dr. Coker. And Dr. Coker wrote on the blackboard, you can tell how long ago it's since I went to college, soil is the substance plants roots grow in. And that was his definition of soil. That's what soil is. I mean, we all know it's ground up rock and it's organic matter and all that. I said, no, the only thing you need to remember is soil is what plants roots grow in. Uh, in other words, it's important what's in it to make plants roots and plants grow. Um, and you've got, they, well, plants need light, air, and moisture and a suitable temperature. Uh, write down those four things and then just work out how you can give them to them. Even if it's only a pot, it'll need light. They can't grow in the dark. You'll be in charge of water and food, you know, um, and the, the substrate, the, the, the soil that they're growing in, compost or whatever. And it's just, my line is always, and I know I keep reiterating it, people must get bored of hearing it. Plants want to grow. It's up to us not to get in the way. Um, and seeds want to grow. Once you've lit the blue touch paper once they have been moistened that's it there's no going back you can't let them dry out then because the 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 enzymatic process has begun as long as they're dry and cool and in a packet they're okay but as soon as you've put them in the earth or got water to them you've lit the blue touch paper there's no stamping that firework out you can't go back uh, then you must try and keep it growing evenly so find a part of your garden where the soil is good if it isn't good make it better with a bit of if you haven't got homegrown compost a bag of compost from the nursery or the garden center work it into the soil make sure it's got decent light and a sprinkling of blood, bone and fish meal, which gives it the three basic plant foods of nitrogen, phosphates and potash. Sprinkle that in. And there you have a piece of ground in which things will grow. They really, really will. Um, and then you can sow your seeds. Don't sow them too deeply. Seed packets are a, a mine of information on the back if you take the trouble to read them. Uh, and you don't try and sow a 50-foot row of lettuce all on one day, unless, of course, you're feeding a family of rabbits and even they get fed up with it. Um, <laughs> just all the information is out there. Just don't overface yourself at the beginning. And the other obvious thing is only to grow things you like eating. Because a lot of people think, oh, I better have um, a beetroot, uh, a kohlrabi. Da, da. Half of them they don't know. Half of them they don't know how to eat or how to cook. And if you love courgettes or you love spring onions, grow them. And there are easy crops like spring onions. The salads are generally easy and quick. Spring onions, 
radishes, lettuces are generally quite easy and quick to grow. And just do a couple of foot a row, and then maybe a week later do another couple of foot a row, and then you'll have this succession. It's not rocket science, it's common sense. But people throw common sense out the window if they're frightened. And if you've Mm. not gardened before and grown your own veg, it seems terribly mysterious and complicated, which is why I've spent my life trying to make it straightforward. (laughs) Keep it simple, because it is in the end. It's really simple process and you know even growing now of course growing tomatoes it's a little bit harder work and that's what everybody wants to start with so but so why not you know that's let's encourage do them, it some, i mean it's, what, it's what, are you, what are your tips on tomatoes well it's so much you'll get a quicker harvest if they got a bit of cover uh, yeah. this summer was a good one for tomatoes outside but that's not always the case if we have a cool and a gray summer and it's chilly and, it's, and you can only really plant them out at the beginning of june because if you do it you know you can do it in may down south if the weather is propitious if it's all right but if the weather turns cold tomato plants turn blue literally with mm. cold uh, and you have to start all over again so it's not really worth planting them out if you want to be absolutely certain till the end of may beginning of june then they go in the ground outside then they they need to grow fairly fast to finish their growth cycle and ripen their fruits before the beginning of September. I mean, now they are still ripening outdoors now, but if you're only just beginning to get them, that was an awful long time to wait from sowing the seed in April. And in a greenhouse, of course, you'll be cropping, God willing, at the, you know, the end of June, if you're lucky, uh, or in somewhere with a bit of a polytunnel or something. So tomatoes need patience and good weather, but commensurate with that is the thrill of of picking the first one which is that much greater even than pulling your first radish so patience it does teach people patience and i hope in a way that that that, that lockdown has, has, has taught us to be a bit more patient and as i say this postponement of gratification if it comes in the end there's a greater feeling of of enjoyment and achievement I think so. I mean, you know, you can just see on social media how much people have enjoyed in the last year or so growing things and growing tomatoes indoors as well. I mean, mm. there, the number of people who've been unable to get out into a garden, they live in a flat and they've still gone ahead and grown. I think it's brilliant and you can do it. I mean, the, the thing is there are rules, aren't there? But what, what are your, what's your take on all the rules around well, growing your own food? It, it's, it's not so much rules as guidelines. It's things that people have found work and things that they found generally don't work. I mean, tomatoes need really bright light. And yes, you can grow on inside in a room if you've got a big window and it gets plenty of light. Uh, if it hasn't got plenty of light uh, it'll get tall and drawn your first truss the first hand of flowers which then become fruit will be about three feet off the ground and you've only got another three feet before the ceiling well four feet if it's seven foot <laughs> so you're not going to get much in the way of a crop and they'll be struggling for light if you can give it light or you've got a conservatory or something like that whoo they'll be away and you'll get an early crop so it's working out what different crops need some crops uh, can cope with a bit more shade raspberries growing woodland you know raspberries can cope with shade so try and grow things which will like and suit your conditions if you've got a piece of ground which is in full sun and in good heart decent soil you can grow virtually anything uh, so it's just working out what will be happy there but if you're in a really tricky situation or you've only got containers that shouldn't stop you growing veg you can grow salad you can grow most things in a in a growing bag you can grow carrots in a growing bag if you want mm-hmm. i mean increasingly more and more people have got city gardens so small plots and a lot of shade so they have got these kind of issues to deal with in mm. terms of you know being overcast and so on so shade is a big barrier so let's just go into that a little bit more you you said about raspberries what else would you do if you've got a shady spot parsnips don't do too badly in shade they're one of the really big leafy crops tend 
to get the bit. You can do if it's partial shade. If it's getting sun for sun part of the day i've got red cabbages absolutely massive at the moment and they're in shade for the second half of the day but they get the early morning sun and they're massive so as long as it's getting some sunshine don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. don't give up try something and see if it'll work what have you got to lose i mean if you do a 50 foot row you've got a lot to lose but if you try one or two things just to see if they'll work then it will go but generally speaking shade is the biggest problem for veg most of them do like good Good light. But what has revolutionised a lot of people's lives is containers, is raised beds. You know, just because if your soil isn't that good, you can make a small raised bed. It can only be three foot square. I mean, on, on Grow Your Own Time, I did a three foot square bed um, with these little tiny log edges that you can buy in the nursery with compost put inside, potting compost put inside and, and made a pattern of lettuces uh, in that tiny area. And, and the thing about a raised bed is you can improve the soil. If you've got stony soil, which carrots and parsnips and root crops that want to go straight down won't like, you can sieve the soil inside a raised bed and you'll suddenly discover you've got carrots that are three feet long. Not quite three feet, but but good, decent carrots and parsnips. And it's tailoring what you've got to suit what you want to grow. And you can do that. Heavy shade is very difficult. That's the most difficult thing to overcome. Waterlogging, build a raised bed if you've got really heavy ground, because that will raise up the crops above the waterlogging. And then the capillary action will make use of that damp soil underneath the raised bed to take up moisture when other raised beds will be drying out. Mm-hmm. I do find raised beds can can get very dry, so that's something to just be aware of. But I think that's a great suggestion if you're on damp ground build up and yeah. draw up the water but um, also with vegetables they're, they're very keen on not um, being interrupted in their growth cycle once they start growing if they're to be tender and tasty uh, and succulent they don't generally like drying out and in any vegetable garden anywhere you do need to be handy with the water it's why all vegetable all sheds on allotments have water butts because you need to keep them growing steadily onions particularly you know until you get to that point in midsummer where they start ripening and you're bending over the tops they can dry out then but until then uh, particularly with things like radishes they need to grow steadily so it, being in charge of watering and yes the one place where you probably do need a sprinkler uh, it is in the veg garden just to keep them growing yeah but you mentioned containers there i mean that's just a perfect way in for so, for so many people and and actually it's also a great way isn't it for getting kids involved giving them their own their own raised bed or their own large planter i guess sizes are really important what 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 about the sort of suggestions around containers that people should be looking for to use the, the bigger the container the better because the slower it will dry out going back to this thing about them needing constant steady moisture they don't need to be in a paddy field they don't need to be saturated these containers but they do need not to dry out and if you're going out and we've had this hot weather this summer if you've got sort of six inch pots growing things on your your patio you water them in the morning before you get to work before you go to work you come home in the evening they've all dried out and flopped they only need a few days of that and this summer it's been like that they've dried out in the space of a day you begin to realize that the larger the bulk of compost the slower it will dry out the happier your plants will be growing bags tend to be quite good at that but if you've got them on a really hot patio a baking patio 
Try and shade the bag a bit, perhaps with some sacking over it, to diffuse the rays of the sun, stop them baking straight onto that polythene sacking and drying the compost out. Uh, So it's all management, really. It's water management with vegetables particularly. But it's amazing what you can grow. You can grow, you know, anything in a pot. I always said to you, you can grow an oak tree in a pot. It just won't be quite as big as it is in a wood. Uh, And you are playing God. You're responsible for food and water. But anything will grow in a container. It's such a positive message, isn't it? I mean, I, I so hope that uh, this kind of desire to grow and to taste fresh food carries on. I mean, there was obviously a worry uh, at the beginning of lockdown, actually, about availability of food. Um, who knows if that's, you know, what, what the sort of future of that is. But just the idea that you can grow things you can't find in shops is also so appealing. What are some of the things that you love to grow? And I know you've got your asparagus bed and that's that'll save your fortune. <laughs> it's a real treat. That I mean, you, that, talking of postponement of gratification it's three years really before you can cut asparagus ours is well established now in fact we had so much of it last year that Alison couldn't touch it this year she said you know I'm just not ready for it yet <laughs> so there's there's a woman being kept in the lap of luxury to have too much asparagus um, I still love it so now wait for those early spears that came this year in late March it was wonderful my first bit of asparagus was cut in late March um, it's growing what you like and it's not necessarily what you can't get in the shops but the fact that you know you are picking them fresher I I like climbing French beans more than runners because I like French beans. They're thinner, they're rounder. Runners are yeah. flat and can get stringier quicker. They've been good this year. Um, I've been, I'm, I'm, I've delayed. I'm not yet cut my red cabbage. I keep looking at it and thinking, any time now. But red cabbage is a wonderful winter dish. Alison cooks it and mix it with um, uh, sugar. She does this wonderful red cabbage and sometimes has raisins in it as well, sultanas, oh, and delicious. that's really quite gorgeous. So it's whatever you like. Beetroot. And people will realise nobody sells turnips anymore you know if you grow snowball turnips there's a writer called snowball which is white if you pick them when they're the size of golf balls top and tail them drop them in a pan of boiling water cook them till they're tender cover them in pepper and butter oh turnips who eats turnips now grow a few really easy to grow and they're gorgeous they are. And Raymond Blanc, I think, is, is a massive fan of turnips. Mm. And uh, you're right, they're one of these undiscovered vegetables. And actually, if you've not been involved in growing your own, and all you've ever seen is growing them as or buying them as massive, massive sort of cricket balls, yes. you know, rather, rather than golf balls, then, yeah, you're suddenly your appreciation of food kind of completely changes. It's like I Swedes. It... I mean, everybody remembers Swedes from yeah. school. But when was the last time you grew a Swede? They want to sweet potatoes now. Grow a Swede or the great thing about Swedes is they will stand through winter like a big fat turnip, purple coated, purple coloured. They stand through the winter, dig up a Swede, chop it into chunks, cook it and mash it with potato. So it's potato and Swede mixed together. It's a glorious winter vegetable is Swede. I absolutely love it. But it's all oh, sweet potato this and sweet. Oh, well, they're all right. But what's wrong with Swedes? We can grow them. Oh, I know. Don't, don't you think we sort of we underestimate the kind of value of our kind of home, you know, real old traditional food? I mean, Swedes turnips, of course, being Scottish, um, you know, good mash. <laughs> Neeps and tatties. Oh, yes. Yeah. You know, yeah, I delicious. remember when well, I was at college, I'm old enough to have been at college when this new crop came out that we had to learn how to grow. And it was called courgettes. Oh, <laughs> Get you. Courgettes. And, and it was so, now- new, so new that our college lecture called them courgettes. 
not courgettes, but courgettes. <laughs> so, uh, and actually, if somebody said, well, it's actually a marrow before it's got big and fat, it wouldn't have seemed nearly quite so exotic. <laughs> or indeed, if you just called it zucchini, it would zucchini, have been completely oh, that's different. Far too that that's very glamorous. That's very foreign. <laughs> <laughs> and now, of course, it's the best. I mean, you know, I guess like you, uh, I always end up putting in too many courgettes because they're so easy and I give them away and they're such a good starter plant. Well, I mean, we were one of the few households in the country that actually enjoys stuffed marrow. So if there is a courgette that's got away and we didn't notice that it's lingering quietly under a leaf and it suddenly turned into something a foot long and fat. Uh, Alison has a great recipe for, for stuffed marrow. She, we um, peel the marrow on the outside, then we cut it in half, take the core out, the seeds in the middle, fill it with savoury mince, put the two halves back together again, wrap it in foil, stick it in the oven and you get stuffed marrow, which is glorious. I love it. Oh, it sounds delicious. It sounds delicious. So what in the coming year will you not be without in your veg patch? Um, I'm never without onions. I'm never without uh, potatoes, Charlotte often, and a nice new potato. Um, climbing French beans. Um, I should be growing red cabbage again this year because I've, I've found I can really grow red cabbages now. Um, and a bit of this and a bit of that, a bit of beetroot, because I like that when it's when it's young. Beetroot's another thing that I think people are beginning to realise is, A, it's high in antioxidants, it's very good for you, but it's also very tasty. And that's the thing to get across to people is pick them young. Don't wait for everything to get big and fat. Well, it's just that little bit smaller, golf ball rather than tennis ball. Uh, you know, you can plant them, they can be growing closer together and they're that much more tender when you eat them. I still love spring onions. I love chopping those up using myself. I love rocket um, and I love iceberg lettuces. You know, the cos lettuces uh, mm. for me are the ones to grow. I do find the the non-hearting lettuce, the sort of salad bowl types and the rosso, they can be a bit rubbery if you're not careful, but a good crisp cos lettuce, that's something to look forward to. And of course, tomatoes. The list goes on. <laughs> Delicious. And of course, with the um, growing interest amongst your grandchildren, then you'll be as busy as ever, presumably. Um, what do you think they're going to be growing in the next year? They, I think tomatoes uh, are definitely a, an annual favourite now. Um, it's, it's just Getting them to think sideways too sometimes and trying something a bit different to get them to try a yellow tomato or a, a purple tomato. And they, oh, no, tomatoes are red. Then they taste it and think, oh, tastes just the same, you know, or better or whatever. So I'm very happy with them doing what they do. If they grow nothing more than they've grown in that first year, at least they're growing something. And I think that's what we need to major on with everybody is don't la let that initial th enthusiasm and those little successes you had this year be the end of it. Make them the start of something big, of an ongoing love affair with fruit and vegetables. Strawberries have been wonderful this year. Uh, raspberries, I love growing raspberries, if you can beat the birds to them. And as well as my new raised beds, I'm building a new fruit cage because, oh my goodness me, by the time I've done the bamboo canes over hoops over my strawberries and put the netting over, and then every time I want to eat a few, had to take all the little hair grips of wire that I've made off and fold it back. Do you know, I've lost my appetite for strawberries. So I'm having a fruit cage. I can open a door and walk into. Try and make life easy for yourself once it's grown so that you look forward to harvesting and cultivating rather than it becoming a chore. And do you see the encouraging signs of future for homegrown, grow your own food, carrying on next year and the year after and, you know, let alone this year? What, what are the signs, do you think, of encouragement? 
I think they're very hopeful. I think the people have been emboldened by a little success. They've also learned how things grow. They don't come in packets. I mean, you know, okay, most grown-ups know they don't grow in packets, but they've got so used to them being washed and delivered to the door in cellophane that, you know, a bit of soil on something in a packet is, oh, it's got a bit of soil. When it's in the garden, you've got to take a few leaves off before you you get used to it. Uh, And really, it's probably not appropriate to say it this year, but I remember a lady saying to me once, what do I do about my little boy eating soil? And I said, well, make sure he gets enough. Build up your (laughs) antibodies. Bodies, you know, and growing your own does that. It it lets you taste how food, it lets you know what food really does taste like, what fruit and vegetables can taste like when they're plucked, taken into the kitchen and eaten within minutes of being plucked. There's a sweetness to them, a tenderness to them, a freshness to them, that however quickly they get to the shops, it's at least 24, 48 hours. Yours are getting to you in 24, 48 minutes. There's got to be a difference. It's fresher. It's worth doing. And that sense of achievement is something which you must never lose sight of and never forget that thrill of it being on your plane saying to your guests or your family, um, beans, uh, carrots, new potatoes, all grown just over there. And that is a wonderful thing to be able to do. Thanks for listening to the BBC Gardener's World magazine podcast. And you can find out more about the themes we've covered today at gardenersworld.com forward slash podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please tell others about it and rate us in your podcast provider app. And don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify or Acast to never miss an episode. See you next time.